On today's Howard Stern Show. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. It's the return of Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, I'm there every time. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Makes me laugh. When you get skinny, your penis looks bigger. It's all an optical illusion. You know, I count on forced perspective down there. <laughs> Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Love that guy. Okay. Hey, now. Hey, now. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning, Robin. I'm trying hey, to find you on the screen here. As we battle hey now. Uh, my new setup, I'm getting used ah, to it. You're yeah. in a battle with it. <laughs> I'm in a battle with my new setup. There's a couple of things I'm going to change. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. By the way, I am uh, waiting for Jim Carrey, the fabulous Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, The Mask, uh, Truman Show, Jim Carrey, In Living Color, Jim Carrey, and the author All of the new book. Jim Carrey's. All the Jim Carries are going to be here today with us. So <laughs> he'll be with us in a couple of minutes, actually. He uh, is anxious to get on and promote his excellent new book, which I read, which is rare you for me to read a book. book. I, read a, I read two books over vacation, Jim's being one of them, and it's really good. I actually enjoyed the process of reading the book. Ah. At first, I was angry I had to read a book. I was like, I don't know. You know, it's Jim Carrey. I should read a book. I mean, the guy's never written a book before. You know, let's see what's doing. He's and enough he's of a... coming on, so... Yeah. He's enough of a creative mind that I said, you know what? This is going to force me to read a book. Yeah, you always and... want to know what he's up to because he's incredibly inventive. Right. And the book is incredibly inventive. It's called Memoirs and Misinformation. And, uh, like the yeah, title. That's the title. So we'll talk to Jim Carrey and, uh, oh, star of Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah. How did I forget that? One of the Great best movies. movies. The Dumb and Dumber franchise. The Riddler, Jim Carrey. That's true, too. Yeah. The Riddler, Jim Carrey. So and we'll Andy get to Kaufman, that. And Jim Carrey. Forget the what? what? They call that movie. What movie? The Andy Kaufman movie. Oh, yeah. Andy Kaufman, Jim Carrey. Good Lord, what a career. <laughs> He's done it all. Hey, Howard. Good Lord, yeah. He's ready. Man on the Moon, Andy Kaufman. That Jim was Carrey. The, yes, yes. Yeah. I forgot the name. Oh, he's ready? Okay, great. Let's talk. To, let me see how he looks. He was growing a beard at the beginning of the COVID. Oh, look at him. Let me look. Let me look at you. What a star! Oh, oh he's clean God. shaven. <laughs> look at you. You're I'm star. on the stage. Welcome You're to my star. humble Zoom space. Your star shines so bright in there. Wherever you, gotta you are. Got to be careful, you know, what you show of your abode. You know, these days, I yeah. Demi Moore yeah. got some crap this morning because. Uh, or yesterday, because uh, apparently she has a couch and a fireplace in her bathroom. Oh! <laughs> Did you see that? That was the greatest. <laughs> Demi Moore. It wasn't the couch in her bathroom that she got criticized. She was, you know, she was Instagramming or tweeting or whatever the hell she's doing. And right. um, I never show the inside of my house because my wife does Instagram all the time. And I go, honey. This is all dude, I show. This little humble space right here. You see this what woodwork? Is, yeah, this it's woodwork great. right here. It's yeah, beautiful. It's, uh, it's actually salvaged wood from uh, from an ancient uh, fishing boat uh, that belonged to Jesus and the apostles on the Sea of Galilee. You know what's huh. funny? I was, uh, you know, your book. And uh, is- I turned it into a Murphy bed. 
<laughs> See, you are super hyper aware of everything in Hollywood and the criticism and stuff, because that's your book. I mean, well, anybody, sure. You know, yeah. yeah. And, and you be careful like, not to become the joke. You got to be that's the right. joke. The worst thing I, the, 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 the message I got from this book is the worst thing you could do is become laughable. You, you've got to be self-aware enough not to become some weirdo freak. You've got, you have, you, to, you, know. you have to understand that you are as vulnerable as anybody else, that you're constantly, you know, I, I, I need to leave room for brain farts and things like that. You know, little hum but, humbling experiences I call the Eugene factor. Yeah. And when Eugene you was my middle name, I always thought my parents gave me that name to keep me humble. And no matter and what happened in my life, somebody could come out of nowhere and go, your middle name's Eugene, dude. Eugene is worse than Howard. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty, pretty bad. fucking bad. But Jim is a cool a playwright name. or something. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Jim's kind Short of a happening. To the point. Jim's, yeah, Jim's kind of a happening name now. I mean, it's like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon. Everybody's yeah, Jim Yeah, they do now. the Jimmy thing. I, yeah, I, I lost the Jimmy thing. I, when I first got famous, I was like James right. for a second. That's right. Yeah. I was a I little thought, bit taller than I am right now. Uh, you know what it is? I think after the Truman Show, you almost became James again. Was this serious? So? Maybe in people's minds, in yeah. people's esteem, for sure. You know what's so <laughs> great about your book? I'm like reading it and I go, and it's true. It's like what you say about Demi Moore. So the woman tweets from her bathroom and the picture is she had brown carpet in her bathroom. And right away, I read the comments. People wrote, this is disgusting. How dare she have a brown carpet? It must be full of fungi because she gets out of the shower and it's wet. And it became well, that's this the point, isn't it? So you, yeah. can just tap, you can just spew diarrhea all over the room. No one, knows, no one notices. I would be an asshole if I started tweeting pictures of my house because people would just rip me. Constantly. You know, I, it's, 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 a, it's a necessary evil now. You got to like kind of bring them inside and everybody's becoming humanized. Look at that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, but you're yeah. you're smart on your Twitter. You you tweet your artwork, your you know your paintings. That's this right. Is good. My complaints about the universe. Yes. If about we the, saw uh, if if we saw more than a wall into your house, political diverticulitis that we're suffering from. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. we looked in your house, caused by a, an impacted Senate with uh, you know ossified you know, turds that won't move through the system. In your book, Jim. You kind yeah. of give us a glimpse of your house because when I was reading it, you buy these, you bought, I see again, I don't know who the real Jim Carrey is or the book Jim Carrey, but the book Jim Carrey, he buys Charlie Chaplin's cane for a That's ridiculous right. amount of money. Yeah. But did, but did the real Jim Carrey buy Charlie Chaplin's cane? Well, I can tell you, I can show you right now. You want to see? Yeah. I want to see it. Okay. Okay. All right. There you go. He's there walking go. away. There he is. I would like this to see actually, that. This is actually there. It is. Job. Wow. It is. You know what's weird? About, you know what's weird about it? It's thinner than I thought it would be. I thought a cane would be it's much thicker thin and insignificant. And he made the world with this thing. It's incredible, right? So where where were you when you bought Charlie Chaplin's cane? How did you, you said you uh, bought it with your Batman Forever money. 
Yeah, but it was a it was a it was a phone option. I heard it was available, so it was on the phone. Yeah, yeah and, it's one uh, of those. Yeah, you know, one of those things. Yeah, I was the I was the the, the rich uh, guy in the in the booth upstairs was competing. <laughs> with Is that really true? Like, in other words, were you on no, the phone? Oh, I have no someone? idea. I have no idea. All I know is I got it. I was like, oh my god, it's fantastic. You can see in here, in the inside here, you can see the worn, you know, kind of uh, aged hand marks and things like that. So it's kind of nice. I'm not a big collector, you know, but I, but I do value this a great deal. And I also have one of his cameras, uh, from, uh, that shot the gold rush. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Because, you know, as, um, as, as things go, I'm not a big thing guy, but, but, uh, as things go, that's pretty cool. Because in the book, you have mixed emotions about people who capture things like you own yeah. Charlie Chaplin's cane, but, you make fun of your buddy Nicolas Cage. It's pretty yeah. brutal in a sense because he's buying like swords and, uh, you know, he, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're goofing on people for buying memorabilia and yet Absolutely. you have bought yeah. memorabilia. But Nicolas oh, Cage's sure. memorabilia, Nicolas Cage's memorabilia seems goofy to you. Oh, he could outdo anybody. There's no, no one can compare with him. I mean, he's just like. <laughs> He's, he's living in Camelot. It's a, it's a different world for him, you know? Are you actually friends with him? He's, are he's, you friends? Oh, yeah, are you sure, from? Sure. Oh, you for are. Many years. Many years. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, he's, he's, he's a guy that, uh, that follows his inspirations and his, uh, impulses, you know, like nobody else. And, and he just commit, you know, he, he gives it a little thought and then he's boom. He wants it. He's got to have it. He loves the craftsmanship. He loves the story behind it, you know? But it's amazing. I, He's an incredible character. <clears throat> but when I read the book, the character Nicolas Cage, it seems to me yeah. you have some admiration for him, but he seems to be batshit crazy, in your opinion. <laughs> I mean, he seems to be a guy who is out of his fucking mind. And when you wrote the book, you, prob you probably sent him a copy of it because he's your friend. No, I wouldn't say out of his mind. I think he's uh, he he knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, I mean, he got in some issues with houses and all that stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> it's just because he just he just wants to grab a hold of everything he sees that he thinks is cool. I mean, it's just you know he's just inspired that way, and and uh, and he really is the art. You know, he's he's one of those guys like Salvador Dali that becomes the art. You know, so, so you admire him. You admire Nicolas yeah, Cage very much in many ways, in many ways. Yes. Right. Yeah. But he's, in, he's inspired me in great in great ways. He's very free as an artist, you know, and it might not be the kind of thing that everybody is into all the time. Uh, it may be a little eccentric. It may be uh, completely way off the off, you know, the, the deep end. And he'll make a choice to go there. But to me, it's like German expressionism. You know, it's just, you know, who made the rules here? You know, I'm making the rules right now. You're right. <laughs> we inspire because each other. We have a thing called the Obi-Dobi Award that goes back and forth between us. What is that? And it's gone back and forth. The Obi-Dobi Award is this silly glass award that uh, that we decided years ago we would uh, we would compete for. You know, uh, and uh, it's gone back and forth quite a few times. <laughs> so I think I, I may have won the award with this book. Uh, so I, 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 I'm definitely close to possessing the Obi Dobi once more. <laughs> this sounds like a great relationship between you and Nicolas Cage, because uh, when I read it, I was somewhat jealous and also somewhat exhausted from the relationship because I could tell <laughs> there's a lot going on. And, and, yeah. and I like that because, you know, I was thinking about it. 
Nicolas Cage and Peggy Sue gets married. He put yeah. on that ridiculous voice, which could have completely Incredible. fucked up the whole movie. Like, that's yeah. a balls move. When you've got all those millions riding on a movie, and then you yeah. come on, a, you know, you put on that Nathan Lawrence or something like what he did. Yeah, but if he hadn't done that, maybe I wouldn't have knocked my tooth out for Dumb and Dumber. You know, who knows? How right. these things affect each other, you know, they, it makes it makes other people brave, you know, and uh, he grew up, you know, in, in the Coppola family uh, watching, you know, Francis do these incredible things with Brando and everybody wanting Brando fired from the set because he was putting cotton in his mouth or whatever he was doing. He had these implants in his mouth and, you know, and uh, and it was just uh, a ridiculous choice that worked like gangbusters it was amazing and pacino was too quiet and they they wanted everybody gone they wanted redford to do the pacino part i mean it was a crazy thing so so you know when when we did peggy sue got married you know it, nick came in with that thing and and coppola said you know real life is stranger than fiction you know You'll see those characters. You'll see a character like that and you'll go, wow, what a wild character. But in a movie, uh, an actor makes a choice like that and everybody goes, wait, wait, he's taking too, too many chances here. You know? Yeah, so, in a way, it's how I feel about you. Sometimes you do it and it doesn't work. Sometimes you do it and it does work. You know? I know it's incredibly ballsy when you say sometimes it works because, I mean, having been on a movie set once and done my own movie, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're going into yeah. a scene and you're like, you were oh, great, by the way. Thanks. But I mean, uh, and coming from you, that's a high compliment. But I, I, I sit there and I go, oh, shit, I, I don't want to look like an idiot in this scene. But again, I could maybe make it funny. And, and sometimes I would even do like a pratfall. And Betty Thomas would say to me, you're not a physical comedian. No, no pratfall. You know, like you got to have somebody you trust. <laughs> cool you know? Yeah. But but uh, but but, you know, it makes sense to me that you would buy out of all the memorabilia that you would buy Charlie Chaplin's cane because your whole career, even when you were a stand up, the the way you could manipulate your face, the the choices you made in Ace Ventura, even going back all the way then and you know, just, you know, talking with your ass cheeks. I mean, that shit could have backfired on you, you know? All of that so could have just it could have buried you, you know, but you, you, you took some. That was really the chance we were taking every day. Uh, every day we went and saw the dailies and Tom and I would sit back and just howl with laughter and go, it's it's the end. If it doesn't work, it's the end. <laughs> it's the very end of me, you know, and that's kind of where I love to be. And I feel that way with this book. It's just it's the end. You know what I mean? It's it's either going to work or it's it's just. You know, people are just going to look at me like I'm from another planet. Dude, you know? the book, the book works so well. I'm not a big book reader, especially fiction. And, and, and like, this is the perfect balance of like, I'm sitting there reading it the whole time, really fucking laughing, man. And I don't do that a lot. Oh, with books. good, man. Good. Dude, I'm I so mean, glad at the end. It. When you guys are fighting aliens and, uh, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. and, and Gwyneth Paltrow All the Hollywood getting, tropes had to be there. There's mind. a certain point in the story where, where we're talking about simulations and things like that. We're doing mocap work, and it's so real for me that who knows after that whether it's a simulation or not. I mean, you know, it's... Talk, talk about that, because like that. the thing I love in the book that I thought was revealing about that simulation scene is you're you through simulation, through CGI and all that stuff, you're able to talk to Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's I the really... upside of all that. You know, that would be the upside of all that. And that's what we wanted to capture. You know, Dana and I really were careful about, you know, going through, uh, in, by the way, Dana Vachon, who I wrote the book with, 
co-wrote it with, and uh, he's just an incredible, incredible writer. And uh, but yeah, we wanted to uh, we wanted to push into those areas. I was seeing myself deep faked as you know Jack Nicholson in The Shining, and Nick Cage was seeing himself as other things, and I've seen myself as a woman on the internet, you know, and I'm like, Bow, you know. Uh, but Jim, but, if I uh, was a psychiatrist, I need reading- to myself. But Jim, if I was a psychiatrist reading this book, this is an excellent view of your mind and your fantasies and yeah. your dreams. Because right. one of there's a bunch of I mean, I learn more about you in this book than yeah. I think I've ever heard in any interview. And here's now, Norman why. Mailer said that, you know, exaggeration helps a writer to uh, explore uh, things that are bigger than himself. You know, and then he stabbed his wife. So I'm not sure. You take a good, take a good part. But here's the thing. That's all. The view of the view of Jim Carrey I got is that number one, more than anything in this book, I realized that Rodney Dangerfield to you is a father figure. That that like he is your father. If your father. Your real father was able to have succeeded in show business because he was a funny yes. guy and maybe had dreams and aspirations and he didn't realize. And he them. loved my father. He loved my father. My right. father and him got along so well, man. It was beautiful, beautiful to watch. So my dad got to realize that feeling like Rodney Dangerfield looked at him and ordained him like one of the funniest guys he ever met, you know, and so and Rodney, that was huge for my dad. Yeah. And Rodney was so kind to you that in this dream, which I consider this book your dream. You could sit yeah. there and be held by this man, Rodney Dangerfield, and yeah. just be in his embrace one more time because yeah. he was so good to you and so encouraging to you that even nights where you thought you were bombing as a stand-up comic, Rodney would say, you are a funny motherfucker. He was yeah. really meaningful Yeah, he was always there for me, always supported me, even when I was experimenting and no one knew what the hell I was doing. He was there for me. He still hired me. He sat in the wings with his balls hanging out of his, you know... <laughs> freaking you know uh robe on the side of the stage just howling with laughter and i'd get off and he'd say man they're looking at you like you're from another fucking planet (laughs) hey jim what was the story when rodney was when rodney was dying you did talk to him in the hospital yeah yeah and 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 you were you see this is the balls on you guys (laughs) he means something to you what was it you said to Rodney about um, you were going to go now tell the world his he said, secret? Don't worry, I'll, I'll let everybody know that you were gay. It's it's that kind of thing. <laughs> it's not anymore. And he was kind of staring off into space, and there was no action on the machines or anything like that. And at that point, his eyes kind of shifted, and his mouth started shaking like he wanted to say something to me. And he was like, he enjoyed, I could see there was a look of like joy and recognition and stuff. And, and all the machines lit up and this uh, crash team ran into the room and said, what the hell is going on and stuff. And they said, it got it. He hasn't uh, shown any signs like that in a long time. So I knew Jim, he knew I was there. Jim, it must've been incredible. I mean, this the fact this that- book is a wonderful chance through the sci-fi aspects of it, through the complete, you know, apocrypha, I get to, I get to explore all these places, man, and, and, uh, and bring him back. And I mean, there's just so many, so many areas that I was able to go because, you know, who cares? Who this cares anymore? What, no, history, it- what history are we learning? It's like, did Columbus discover America? I don't think so. I think the Jim, Knights Templar it- were here first. But isn't it mind blowing? When you have a relationship with Rodney Dangerfield and you see him laying there, and he, you know, 
Rodney had the quickest mind of all. And when yeah. he would go on the Tonight Show, he was like an encyclopedia of jokes. The guy's memory, the way he delivered everything, the way he got Johnny cracking up. I watched those performances over and over there. again. A, a comedy machine. machine. You know, reminds yeah. me of you on a talk show. When you're on a talk show, you come in and you fucking kill. I, I sit there and I said, what was it like for Jim to be in a hospital, watch this man who is so quick, who we know as a great performer, and you see he's hooked up to a machine and he can't even talk anymore. And you go, he's got all of that in his brain. He had all that material. It's almost like yeah. you wanted them to be able to download this human being. And in the book you go, look how great this is. They've downloaded Rodney into a machine and I can talk to him, I but know. it's also and horrifying. Generally that's, generally that's thought of as a negative, you know, and it, and it, and it is a negative to a, to a certain extent. that You can't make a James Dean movie because he had choices that he made because of his conditioning, because of his life and his, whatever he was missing, you know, he, it, created those decisions which were electric you know so they can try to do it but uh you know we we just pushed it to the point where he really was coming through you know at least i believed so and it was yeah the, jim's jim's the, whole dilemma one of the dilemmas in jim's book is that with all of this technology now they'll be able to download actors they're almost doing it now and, you know, they did it with De Niro. They made him young in his Corporal last book. Rights. Yeah. 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 And Jim's dilemma is, gee, do I sell out and sell my image to uh, to Hollywood? And do I let them make movies of me even after I'm dead? And, well, of course, Jim is. Great grandkids that don't give a damn about me, man. It's just like <laughs> yeah. freaking slinging pork and beans and stuff or whatever. But what's so great about the book is you go, yeah, I'll sell out. Sure. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, you're, you're like, yeah, I'll sell out. Why not? I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll sell them my image. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. I mean, if you could have, you know, even if it's not completely real, if you could have a stimulation that is very, very close to somebody you love, your parents, whatever, wouldn't you kind of sit with it every once in a while? Oh, yeah. I mean, I lived in a place in L.A. one time that had a uh, a robot uh, concierge that you could call down and a little robot would come up on the elevator and spin up to your door and had two little stupid eyes. And it had like a little, you know, graphic smile. And it said, hello, like that. And and you and his head opened up and you could take, you know, M&Ms out of his head and stuff like that. And I swear to God that thing, Charlie, became a a character in my right. life that I crazy you know, would yeah definitely uh, anamorphize. Well, you know? during during this quarantine, I have a Roomba. I talk to it. it; it vacuums my house, and I'm like, so thank you, Roomba. You've done such a good job. I'm picturing you riding the Roomba like a cat. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love it. I got three of them. You know, in a way, I was thinking. You know, going back to buying Charlie Chaplin's cane, I think about you. Even you write in the book, like when you were a kid. I don't know if this is a real memory or not again, but being two years old and your mother would give you cauliflower and yeah. you would make faces about, yeah. you know, how disgusting cauliflower is or something, yeah, or you would make a face. Horrifying. Horrifying. I mean, yeah. I, when I was an infant, I was to I'm told that in the high chair, in order to get out of eating, I would go into these facial convulsions where I'd shake my entire body like this. And, uh, and people would say, my mother would say, don't you laugh at him. Don't you laugh at him like that. He's trying to get out of eating. Don't laugh at him. And sooner or later, they'd all start laughing because it's this infant that somehow has a plan. Isn't it amazing, Jim, that as an infant, you were kind of already doing what you ended up doing for a living? It's weird like that, 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 you know, some people are funny 
and then they just don't pursue it and then they stop you know they're just like funny in their living room but you were yeah. cracking people up at an early age you know and and yeah. like wow the fact that you stuck with it is just incredible to me it really yeah, is it's, it's a it's a nutty story man it's really kind of hard to believe my story you know when when you drill down so many times that this uh kind of weird poetic uh synchronicity has gone on in my life that's crazy it's and if i told you you know how how synchronistic it is you probably think i was nuts like you know just a hollywood goofball but uh but the, there seems to be a conversation going on all the time see i think you see it that way that's what i get from you in the book but i see it yeah. differently i see you as a guy who was so hard working who so wanted to make it, not only to support his family, to get your father happy, to make your mother happy. You know, you had a sad mother. Uh, yeah, yeah, you had a father who was depressed. I think you had such drive to succeed that that drive kept you going and created those possibilities. I don't know, you know, I, I really do. I think you kind of just willed it to happen. And uh, I mean, yes, you had you had the funny, to but to a certain extent, yeah, absolutely. I dreamt it all up before it happened, for sure. And I'm yeah. still doing it. I'm still doing it. You know, this book is part of that. You know, in the book, Dana and in I the, committed by ourselves the way, I mean, for eight years of a conversation and three years, two to three years of grinding in a room for real. I mean, just every word, every thought, every idea, you know, and, and sometimes bashing heads together. But every time we did, you know, we came up with something better than either of us had conceived in the first place. It was incredible. I was so I was so pissed off at the book when I started reading it because this is my narcissism. I go, I should have fucking done this. Like Jim Carrey <laughs> wrote a book about Jim Carrey, the character in Hollywood. And I go, that's fucking brilliant. This motherfucker, he, he did uh. it again. You know, and I was really I was like. I was angry, you know, I was like, you know, this is so brilliant. It's like, it's, it's really, really great. It's a great book. It's and, man. It's and, wonderful. and, um, by the way, one last question about Rodney. You mentioned in the Not book that, that you were stewing in jealousy and horrible yes. feelings toward me. But, yeah. I go, here's Jim writing about, here's Jim writing about all his horrible feelings about not getting the Academy Award and he's going to play Mao Tung for, you know, and I go, and I'm sitting here jealous that he wrote this fucking book and it's <laughs> making me crazy. But but but, it, but that's why the book's so good. And and uh, well, thank God I, I can only take credit for half of it, Howard. So we're still good. Yeah, I was wondering what the um, what the book actually was, because I know you wrote it with another guy. But I see you. I mean, I see you dictating these crazy scenes to this guy. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't know what we the process was. We were, I swear it's an equal situation. Honestly, he's very incredibly creative himself. So, uh, he, you know, we we were a perfect combination. We became really good friends. And it's, it's an incredible thing. I've already gotten such incredible gifts from this thing. And, and it really is hard to believe that it's actually been accomplished, honestly, because because we have giant high, you know, really big goals to achieve. And I wanted to get people to the point in this book, not only to have this absurd journey, you know, to, uh, but but to end in a way that leaves them with um, with something actually tangible, even if it's for a moment, just that a little bit of a feeling of like, ah, oh, I'm OK. You know, was no. Rodney Dangerfield? But Jim, one more question on Rodney. Was his, yeah. all the impressions you do, because I regularly go back and watch your old stand-up when you would do impressions, when you would do James Dean, when you, you know, and it's really <laughs> weird how you can fucking morph into these people with just your face. 
Was Rodney's favorite impression truly the amazing Kreskin? Did you do an yeah, impression yeah. of you did? I, yeah. I looked everywhere on the Internet for your impression of um, the amazing yeah. Kreskin, because I love Basically, the amazing all Kreskin. it is is like coming coming up and saying like, hi, the amazing Kreskin. Nice to meet you. Like and I'd shake somebody's hand in the front row. We've never met before, have we? Like that. And I'd <laughs> shake their hand and I'd keep shaking it. And he shook hands so hard that I'd start doing it. And it would just like it just would. Uh, <laughs> would grow into total manic insane energy and he it used to crack people up and and yeah he used to make fun of me because it was not a, a well-known impression in the states so i had to come up with some other stuff yeah because i'm know? sitting there going i'm reading this super stupid reference in the book about amazing kreskin i'm like who even remembers amazing kreskin but i remember we used <laughs> to have him on the show and not even amazing, amazing kreskin apparently yeah <laughs> all i know is he would come on the show and you're so right He'd walk up to me and he'd go, hi, Howard. And he'd start to shake my hand so hard. Oh, brutal. And I, and, I, and I said to myself, I can't have this guy on anymore. He hurts me. I mean, my arm hurts. Joy becomes early. aggression. It's a weird, <laughs> strange way to get on top or something like that. Meanwhile, yeah, I don't know. And the yeah. romance, you know, there's no romance in the book. It's more kind. It's, it's weird. When yeah. I'm reading the book, a lot of it is about your relationships with women. Right. And the the sad relationship for me is Georgie, because mm -hmm. Georgie, this character you made up, although I think I know the woman you're talking about. And, you know, you don't you don't have to say you probably but, don't. You probably don't. Uh, oh, I probably do. I don't know. I want it's, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. It's a Basically, Georgie and yeah. And Georgie and uh, and uh, uh, Helena San Vicente, you know, they're they're echoes of Maryland. You know, and, uh, you know, the whole idea being about persona, you know, and transcending persona, whatever it is that Los Angeles, you know, gathers people. It, it calls people from all over the world to create their Maryland, that unstoppable character that's going to win everybody, you know. And, and so that's really where those characters come from. And Georgie is also representative of a star's power whether it be good for them or not good for them to be able to look at the television and go, I like her. Think I'll yeah, have Jim, her. Jim, here's you know? the deal. When I, again, I look at this as like Jim Carrey's either nightmare or dream. And your cynical view of Hollywood is, I think you love Hollywood and I think you love yeah. being an actor. And I think you love the success that you've had. But I also yeah. think you look at the world with a lot of disdain and particularly some of these women uh, Georgie is a woman who is using you. In other words, you say, hey, she doesn't love me. She yeah. never loved me. She's after me because I'm Jim Carrey. She's after me right. because I have money. I And I feed into it because I go out and go to a, uh, an auction and buy f a fabulous paintings for $3 million. To I invited it in. You invited invite it in. in. You yeah. suck it in. So it's a mutual yeah. use. You're using yeah. her for her youth, her beauty. Her mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is uh, right. for sex, she's using you, but she has disdain for you. She can't even stand fucking you. Uh, that's uh, kind yeah. of the at a that's my point. At a certain yes. point, she turns, yeah, where it's and, not the perfect picture anymore. It's not she's not going to get everything she wanted out of it, so it it turns her a bit. Yeah, for sure. But and you know, I I I did. I was reticent to do like this, you know, total hatchet job on Georgie, because I know that 
it, 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 you know, sometimes the person you think, oh, that person is like, they deserve to get their ass kicked or whatever, any of that stuff. And they end up through desperation, through like the Quentin Tarantino moment where she kind of blows it, suddenly finding a deeper place and Georgie, actually becoming a success. Georgie you never know a- who's going to become a success in this town. But you never know. And it's like this woman you're dating in the book who, who you know, I'm, I'm guessing who this is, uh, is, but, but this woman, she, because she's hanging out with you and she's fucking you, she gets this meeting with Quentin Tarantino to be the star of his next movie. Just right. to get ready for the meeting, she goes out and plumps her face up with a new kind of Botox that's never been used before. She shows up to Quentin Tarantino, her face She's is fucking one melting. wrinkle, one wrinkle. <laughs> it just goes, I just zapped that one. Right. And, and we then, hate Georgie because Georgie is using our hero, Jim Carrey. But it's she gets the ultimate smack in the head in Hollywood. She gets fucking Botox and it wrecks her big moment with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, it's really a, it's it's a horrible a view of Hollywood. A new product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. She gets talked into it by the doctor. Right. So, but you even make yourself out to be a bad guy in the sense that you and Georgie invite a woman into your bed. You have a threesome. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. kind of a desperate woman. And she's a Marilyn soon, Monroe impersonator. Marilyn yes. Monroe impersonator. And as soon as she starts fucking you, she f- realizes she's in love with you. You go, that's it. I'm dumping her. Right. Because no woman is just a fuck. Right. There's no such thing. And I learned that the hard way over many years of experience, that there's no such thing as a woman who doesn't have a heart that she wants to share or, you know, uh, uh, in somehow, in some way, feel loved, you know. So, so, you, so you made yourself into what a that bad represents guy. to me. I well, like that. The thing is, Jim Carrey in the book not only represents parts of me that I like or dislike, uh, or ways that I've been that I dislike, uh, but it also represents the uh, people's perception of celebrity and people's perception of Hollywood. So it's the it's me taking it and stretching it. And saying all the things I need to say, but but at the same time, it's uh, it's done in this wildly exaggerated, apocryphal way that that is is super fun. I hope. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. it's great! I said, yeah, Jim's yeah. right on. He's being honest. He the Marilyn Monroe impersonator. They have this great threesome, and uh, she falls in love with him, and he, he writes her a check and gets rid of her. Basically, you know, it's like you know, you, you got to get out of here, honey. This isn't the, well, this isn't just, the deal. He's breaking the rules. There was rules set down. You know, Georgie <laughs> set some rules down that she knew I would break. You right. know, because that's how she gets on top. You know, so uh, you know, so that's uh, that's the thing. I think it's 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 pretty poignant in a way that uh, the whole Maryland idea, you know, Maryland is a, is a thing, you know, I, I live right down the street from her and from where she, she lives, you know? And uh, I know she used to go to the market on the corner where I went every day and call Joe DiMaggio in the last year of her life. Cause she was lonely, you know? And I know the idea of like that, and this book is is largely about this is persona, the fear of erasure, the the the, the obsession with relevance and the, the need to create, you know, a persona that will, you know, if it really works, it will become sarcophagal, you know, and you, you'll be like frozen in time like this and you'll have to claw your way out, you know. So I've done that several times, you know, I know yeah, you I mean, have. You, you too. Yeah, you're, you're, talking. You're, not, you're not doing butt bongo anymore. No. But Jim, you, you do, you know, you point that in the book. You're like, uh, it's kind of great. I mean, you, you're this guy. When we find you in the book, the Jim Carrey character, 
You're searching yeah. for your relevance again. You're this guy who had millions of dollars in blockbuster movies, and all of a sudden you paint yourself as a guy like, how am I going to get my next big movie? How you know? Is, is it really that horrible? I mean, is it like like after all you've done and all the billions of dollars you've generated, are you still sitting there going, what's my next big movie? When am I going to get no, my? No, I, I don't. I don't. I I I I have my desires to do things that are special. That's it. So that's why this book is where I'm at right now. You know, uh, I may disappear every once in a while and everybody goes like, where the hell did he go? What's he doing? You know, so he's, what he's a cartoonist now, you know, kind of thing. And then, you know, <laughs> at the same time as I'm like producing these TV shows, I'm writing this book and that's, it's my pleasure, you know, to be able to bring something new out and go a new branch, check it out, man. You know, but it's the same no, it's tree, awesome. new branch, you know, no, and, it's great. Uh, Jim, yeah, when you really say in, when you movie. when you say in the book, hey, the great love of my life was Renee Zellweger. Mm -hmm. You say it. Jim Carrey the character, but I'm assuming that that's true. And well, she I, I definitely guess, was special to me, very special. You know, I I came on your show after we broke up and uh, I don't know if you know, people were trying to prompt me to say something bad. I have no idea, but I I I have nothing bad to say about her. You know, it's just, no. I, I, I think she's lovely. Yeah, you know, she, I do too. I, but I, stuff, but, you know, yeah. No, but I'm saying I got kind of sad. It was like, wow, Jim's saying in the book again, you know, it's, you, you, you have poetic license because it's fiction, but you know, you're saying, man, the great love of my life was Renee Zellweger. And that was quite some time ago. And it was almost like you were saying, I shouldn't have fucked that up. Like that was the one that whatever happened. The one that got away. And that was a long time ago. You know, it was like um... I had those feelings at the time around the time. I don't regret. I don't have those things. Uh, but but I, I do appreciate the people that have come through my life for for the good that that they gave me. And and uh, and that's why Linda Ronstadt has a special place in the book, because, you know, it, it may have seemed like some, you know, boy toy kind of situation to some people looking at it from the outside. But she treated me with incredible respect and she loved my talent and respected my talent and we used to hang out together and she'd say you're going to be where i am you're going to deal with all the stuff i've dealt with and stuff and uh and it was a beautiful eight months and we both knew it wasn't going to be a forever and but I have such respect for her she's just an incredible human being well-read intelligent you know gutsy ballsy you know, courageous person, you know, and she's somehow had a way of putting people together. Like she introduced me to my business manager. She said, you know what? Your dad can't do that now because he doesn't know American tax law and you guys are going to get in trouble together, you know, but here's my guys and I'll introduce you. And she put the Eagles together. And I mean, she's just a brilliant woman. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I thought you were really kind to her. Well, when I was reading the book, I was forgetting because when her, I think, yeah. I, think I, I, I love her very much. I think she's a lovely girl, love, lovely person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when, when I was reading the book, I was reminding me, I forgot about that whole Linda Ronstadt thing. And I, I don't like, pine is... for anybody. I don't pine for anybody. <laughs> you know, it's really? not that kind of situation. It's, it's just my way of saying there was a very important thing there, you know, and to recognize that and to recognize Linda and say, and, you know, and I sent her a note and told her, you know, you probably haven't thought of me since. I have no idea. But but, you know, to me, that was a very, very beautiful moment of my life. 
because it wasn't sorted. It wasn't weird. It was, it was very respectful and cool. And, and I learned so much, you know, from her. You mean, Great. because you mentioned her in the book, you sent, you sent her a note after all, I guess you haven't been in touch for a couple yeah. of years. And so yeah. you sent her a note and said, look, I, I mentioned you in the book. I want you to see it. Yeah. Um, it, and it holds a very special place in my heart that moment of my life, you know? To me, it's, it's a it mind blowing moment before you're famous. Before, you know, I mean, yeah, you were doing well, you were doing stand up and stuff and you, you know, and, and you were brilliant at it, but you know, you didn't have the great fame that you have now. And Linda Ronstadt, you know, who was one of the biggest stars in the world, really an unbelievable singer. I was just watching a documentary about uh, how she, like Whitney Houston got her, I will always love you from Linda's version of uh, that Dolly Parton song, like stuff like that. And like the Eagles and all that. Well, she had a huge effect on things. Yeah. It is amazing that she saw you and didn't say, oh, there's the lowly Jim Carrey. I can't uh, be with him. <laughs> she had this beautiful no, love. She was so cool. I got to tell you. So the, the, the night we met was at uh, the comedy store. And um, <clears throat> I heard that Linda Ronstadt needed an opening act. And so I, I did my show in the original room and I got a standing ovation. I was I really slaughtered the room. And I went outside and I don't know what I was thinking. I was just in like 21 year old Mac daddy mode. I don't know what the hell it was that possessed me, but I just immediately just was adored her. And, uh, she came up and she said, wow, you're really good. Would you like to come on the road with me? And I said, no, but I'll go out with you. Wow. Ballsy. Like that, without a, without a thought, just like, no, but I'll go out with you. So I was giving up a gig, which I needed. I had no money. <laughs> <laughs> what a I just cool wanted to go out with her. And, uh, and she, you know, uh, she, she kind of screwed up her face and she said, okay. <laughs> you want to know why that's so brilliant? As a guy, you know, meeting Linda Ronside, who's so beautiful and talented and on top of the world. Like you need the gig. The gig was way more important than even, you know, becoming her boyfriend. But I know. You, you, you thought in that split second, I'll show her. I don't I don't have to use her. I don't need her for her gig. And that was why she I mean, she must her mind must have been blown. <laughs> I, yeah, she just kinda went, Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so with this funny. book, I was thinking, you know, so I, I had read that you sent everyone who's mentioned in the book, you know. A copy much, of the book yeah. and, a, and a personal note. So did you send Renee a copy of the book? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And absolutely. did you send and, and did you send it to like, like some people you paint to be batshit crazy? Like this Anthony Hopkins, the scenes with him <laughs> when he's teaching you how to become Mao Tung and all the. No, I love I, Anthony Hopkins, man. I love but, him. But dude, he seems. Even fucking, the people that I'm having fun with and I'm doing that stuff with, it's to me, it's just. It's just Dana and I just riffing and taking it to the, to the, to the next level, you know, and, and exploring their stories deeper than you could ever expect us to do, you know, to, to go into his early romance that disappointed him and things like that, that it's just like, you just, <laughs> it's so apocryphal that you just go, this has got to be real, you know? <laughs> it's, it's really it's funny too. Amazing. It's pretty funny because, it's, like, it, it, the part I like too is that um, um, Katie Holmes fighting it out is is so fun, so fun. And, and Katie Holmes, who of course was married to Tom Cruise, in the book, you talk about Tom Cruise, 
but he can never be called Tom Cruise. You have to have a yeah. secret name for him. What was it again? Because uh, he's just too litigious. So yes. That's the conceit of the book is that, <laughs> that he should be named from here on. He'll be referred to as Laser Jack Lightning. Right. You cannot mention the Which name I Tom Cruise. I think he's a fantastic character, and we really should make that movie. <laughs> I wonder if you were thinking in the back of your mind that this book could be made into a movie, particularly, I would think, the last part of it where, um, you know, all I would love to see Jim Carrey in a movie about that where you play Jim Carrey and all those celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow are fighting uh, aliens from another planet. I would watch yeah, I that would, movie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't if, I was, if I had control of it, I wouldn't... I wouldn't uh, cast the people who to play themselves i i would play my own father and you know uh maybe <laughs> ryan reynolds or ryan uh, right no ryan gosling ryan gosling would play me and uh and uh and uh you know uh christian bale would be nick cage and you know that would be the fun of it is having really famous actors do their best you know sean penn or whatever it is you know <laughs> And, I mean, uh, you, you paint Sean Penn again. Also, I, I mean, it's cra like he's a gun loving, crazy fuck. I mean, like, I mean, did any of these people get no, back he's to you? Just, uh, he's just a little feral around the edges, man. He's like, he's oh, the man. guy you want by your side when the world is coming apart and you're, you're fighting aliens, man. That's you know what, what I was is. thinking would be great? If Tom the re at the aliens with his last breath. You know what I thought was great? Like, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great publicity for the book if the real Tom Cruise sues you? For saying he's too litigious. <laughs> he can only hope. He yeah. Can only hope. Now, the guy you paint to be a, the ultimate narcissist in the book, and again, I don't know if you know him or not, but Kelsey Grammer is one of the characters in your book. Wow. And, and literally, in every scene in the book, Kelsey Grammer, no matter where he is, tries to steal the spotlight, <laughs> even at the celebrity spiritual retreats. He, yeah. he makes it about himself. You can't tell well, you me know, Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer liked I, his portrayal in the book. I have no idea what he thinks, uh, but but I, uh, you know, you can't tell these people beforehand because that's the overlook experiment. You know, the it, it changes the results. So, uh, you know, basically, you know, Kelsey's character is a, is a, is a function of wanting that voice in the room, that thing like that. You know, uh, uh, Dana had come to me with the idea of the of the soiree, you know, the little thing that we're, they were their their session, their retrieval session. And uh, I said, it's fantastic. But, you know, there's something missing. There's that Kelsey uh, needs to be the guru. He needs to be heard. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And I've yeah. been in those situations where, you know, I invite some spiritual teacher over for dinner and my friends, you know, basically you ask them a question and they answer their philosophy and then turn to the guru and say, am I right? You know, <laughs> you see, that's what it's I predict. Ridiculous. It's just a function of that. And nobody plays the, the blustery, you know, supercilious dude better than Kelsey Grammer. So basically I just cast him as that. You know, it's and, great uh, because nothing personal to him. He's a wonderful guy. I've met him before. He's lovely. You know, I imagine like inviting Jim Carrey to a house party would be a nightmare because you see all this like 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 here's somebody. The guru is sitting there and Kelsey Grammer says, I know more than the guru. You know, I I <laughs> you know, I don't know Oprah, but I imagine now Oprah has become such a deity that no matter who she's questioning, she somehow knows more than everyone else in the room, and it doesn't even matter what the guru is saying. They become the guru. But how, so, how fun is all of that with Oprah it's great. and Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and all of that is just well, so much fun. Well, let me ask you about that. 
it was my way that that was my way of saying you know these guys are just the the surgeons of negotiating this business you know what i mean they are just on it man they do everything right they they make all the right moves and hanks is great and spielberg is a, a maestro you know so i have infinite respect for them but at the same time i've always felt like i was a bit like the mad guy next door covered in paint and you know not knowing where it's going to go i leave the dock without knowing what's going to happen you know uh yeah I'm, I'm because you, you a, see you know what that's true in the book i see your fantasy is that tom hanks really knows what the fuck he's doing in hollywood more than anybody tom hanks is the ultimate hollywood guy who right. knows how to pick every movie knows how to get the academy award and, and there's I'm a just moment outside the club i'm i'm allowed <laughs> i'm I, I get to hang i get to say hi and we get you know we hang now and again but I, I, i'll never really be in that elite club somehow it's, it's just a stupid feeling i've always had it's just like oh god that's they have a club and you know i'm good i'm good where i am but i never felt like that comfortable you know, so so it's nothing against them. But I always imagined if there if you know, uh, if there was an escape pod that I somehow wouldn't get a seat. Yeah, <laughs> there's a scene in the book where not only do you see Hanks, who's fully in control, but Spielberg has his phone camera on you. And finally, you're almost orgasmic in that. Here it is. The moment I've been waiting for. I'm in his frame. Finally, I'm in his frame. Yeah. And I want, I wonder if that's Jim's real dream. Like if, it, it, are you waiting for a call from Spielberg so that he will give you the movie, the ultimate role, the Mao Tse Dung, if you will, role where you be, get that Academy Award? Because on some level, I think you are pissed off and a little ticked that with a lot of your great performances that you did not ever get that ultimate not, prize of the Academy not Award. In the least. Seriously? Absolutely seriously, man. You can believe me. I not in the least. I don't feel like I'm missing anything in this world. I, I'm sitting at a freaking banquet and I'm stuffed to the gills. And and it and it just keeps coming. So I can't I can't live in that space of like going like what didn't they give to me at all? You know, I just couldn't. I couldn't live in that space. I feel like, you know. Like I always do. If I don't get something initially, then the way I'm going to get it is going to be so special someday, you know, that it, it's going to be really gratifying, you know. And I, I'm not waiting for Spielberg to call me. Uh, I love Steven Spielberg. And, and I, you know, every time I run into him, I'm like, I got five more questions about Jaws, you know. And, uh, you know, when he's boiling the shark's jaws and he has blood on his hands, is that because he delivered the bomb? You know, uh, and he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, I'm fascinated by, by him as a human being. He's incredible. Just an incredible one of one of the very special ones. So, but I don't wait for anybody. I'm not waiting for anybody to give me anything. I, I, I I'm, I'm satisfied. And I and I keep expanding and playing with new ideas and and I feel really gratified about this book because I, I I think it's really good and I can say that because I'm only responsible for half. <laughs> right? No, no, it is really good and you know your view of Hollywood is so great too because you're sitting there in the book debating, gee, do I go after the great Academy Award winning role or do I listen to my agents and take one of these fucking cartoons, you know, these animation <laughs> things, and make a goddamn fortune? 
and you're yeah. sitting there and debating it. And of course, you you cave in. And, and as I am, the, my chairman Mao is dying inside me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and right, you know. But is that your view? Because you, you did do, you did one of those. You know, you and, did in real life one of those animation. But but Jim, you did one of those animation things. Were you really yeah. sitting there going, "Fuck, my soul is dying by doing this"? Well, because it was really I, the Penguin movie. It was the Penguin movie, really, that did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gave me that that lovely feeling. Uh, it was, you know, not a bad thing to do. It was for kids, whatever. But I felt when I was doing the movie, I was like, oh, my God, really? This is not, uh, not, there's no edge to this, sucker man. Yeah. You know, I've got to have an edge of some sort going on. You know, it's just not interesting to me if I don't. So, you know, something like Robotnik has a fantastic edge to it, you know, and it also kind of harkens to the future and, you know, the threat of, you know, mechanization and all that stuff. So there's a lot for me to chew on. But it's still a commercial movie. But you get into these situations, you know. It used to be when I started out, I saw a lot of changes in Hollywood. So the book deals with corporate tyranny and, uh, you know, an actual tyranny and the difference between celebrity and tyranny, which is, you know, it's a hop, skip and a jump, you know, as you as you can see in the White House now, you know. Wow. Uh, yeah, this guy, this 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 year's reality show host is. Uh, next year's tyrant, you know? So uh, we wanted to explore all that, but there was this, this feeling that when you started out, when you start out and you got your team around you at the beginning, you know, and you guys are just fighting the world together, you know, it's like you're a real team. And then at a certain point, it's inevitable that they will have other interests and they will have other relationships and they will have business allegiances. And suddenly you'll be in a room with those guys that you were that team with and you'll know deep down that they're serving other masters, you know, that they have have other voices in their head. And, you know, every once in a while they'll try to stuff you back into a box, you know, and go, wait a second, you can't talk about, you know, you can't stand up to the gun lobby. You know, you're, you won't be hireable, you know, because Hollywood has a lot of guns. We're the best advertisement for guns, you know, ever. Yeah, I know. So, like the, the view of Hollywood in the book is so fucking, it's crazy because it's true. When someone gets to your level, all of a sudden you realize, is my team with me or are they doing it for self-interest? Like it, it says, hey, they're with you, but they're also balancing other relationships and other uh, motivations.